Welcome back to JPR's Priority Status, Travel Elevated. I'm Lauren Knudsen with our latest. Do what you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life, as the saying goes. That's more reflective of the vibrant hoteliers that are guests on today's episode of Priority Status, or of how I felt spending time with these gentlemen recording not one, but two podcasts. They were that much fun. Matt and Adam Marquise are two of the brothers running the family-owned Pacifica Hotels, and they have some tremendous insight with a lot of laughs on how to go from running, say, a dial a horoscope business to where they are today. Family-owned hotels are way more common than most people realize, and we hope you'll enjoy hearing how this family has made it a big success. So Pacifica Hotels, tell me a little bit about the history and how it all began. So interestingly enough, we start not in the hotel world. Uh, my dad was a CPA, just newly minted, working, I think, for Arthur Anderson or Arthur Winnie or whatever it was back then, and uh, came, got a job to Santa Barbara, came up here. I think he was working on some Sambo's things, which is an old restaurant concept that was like Denny's, coffee shop, kind of you know, family restaurant, and uh, met Sam Battistone, who was the CEO and owner of Sambo's. At that point, I think they were almost ready to go public or they were already public. So Sam already successful, says, Dale, nice to meet you. Let's go play tennis. They go play tennis a few times. And then he says, you know, I, I'm thinking about starting another company, one that would be diversified because I have, you know, a lot of wealth and there's a lot of people that are invested in Sambos that have a lot of wealth and we want to diversify out of the restaurant business. So let's get into real estate and other things. So my dad said, this is great. I'm tired of being an accountant after a couple of years. And they formed Invest West Financial, which was our holding company of Pacifica Hotels. And um, their first deal was a tennis club. And then they did office, and then they did apartments, and they did some operating companies like a dial a horoscope. So here we get into the creativity early on. And I'm not sure if it was Sam or my dad. It might, I, if I'm a guessing person, it probably was Sam, because he was kind of like we are, where he likes to do a little bit of everything. And, uh, and then they got into some professional sports. They did the uh, WFL team, the California Suns. And they, they actually, before that, they did the Hawaiian Rainbows, and then they bought the Suns when the Suns were going under. So they had two WFL teams. They were the first franchisee of um, the New Orleans Jazz, and then moved them to Utah and sold them to the Miller family, unfortunately. Kind of wish we could Scooby-Doo that and not have that have happened. Um, interestingly enough, I got to see David Stern, and we talked about being the first uh, franchisee. I, try, I knew I was going to work this into a podcast yesterday at lunch at the Moxie. Um, so it was really exciting to see former NBA commissioner David Stern. Um, who Lauren had to be educated as to who that was. I wish we could do a poll right now and say how many people know. I wish there was video. And by the way, it's spiking of people that know who David Stern is, maybe. Maybe, hopefully. I'm sure plenty of people do. Just the audience you were telling it to in the office today didn't know, which now I know, and now I'll be excited furthermore. Anyway, so we're back to the story. So we still have not done our first hotel deal. So a hotel deal came around. I think it, it may have been in Austin, Texas, and I think it may have been a travel lodge. So auspicious beginnings. Uh, and th- those are guesses. It may have been down in L.A., a travel lodge, because we did travel lodges early on. And the mentality, at least what is told to me now, is that they looked at it and said, it's kind of like an apartment building that we sell every day. And so that got us into the hotel business. So for, I would, I would say, probably the first 
almost 20 years of being in the hotel business, if, if you call owning a hotel being in the hotel business, which probably qualifies you, um, we were just a management company, a full-service management company. We did office, we did retail, we did apartments, we did industrial, we did mini storage, and we did hotels. Um, I think it wasn't until right before I came in the company, probably in 97, 96, that they kind of took the management company and split it into commercial management and then hotel management. They started hiring hoteliers instead of property managers. Um, and that's how we kind of evolved organically into a hotel company. Uh, thereafter, we added marketing, <laughs> a little bit of PR, um, and then uh, eventually added revenue management and all the other things, risk management, design, uh, everything that we have today. Uh, about seven, eight years ago, and this gets into the family aspect of it, we have a family board. And we are very diligent in having quarterly board meetings. We run them like real board meetings. Uh, I do a management with, uh, with Adam and my brother Chris, who are in the, the company. We do a management presentation to our board members, which include other family members and some outside, family, outside board members. Um, we were doing our presentation, and we were talking about some difficult retail projects that we had been developing out in Victorville. Wonder why they were difficult. And, uh, and my brother, who is not in the company, Chad, turned to us and he kind of looked at me and he said something very profound and something that I credit him with, and I tell this story all the time, that he looked at us and he said, well, aren't we hoteliers? Isn't that where we make the most money, have the most success, have the, the best product? Isn't that our competitive advantage? And it stuck with me for about four or five months, and then about six months later, I kind of went to my dad and I said, I think we need to be just a hotel company and stop doing other types of investments uh, and really focus on what we're really, really good at. And uh, since then, that's all we've done. And uh, every now and then, we have an exchange of a commercial property that maybe we get into an apartment building or something. But we really are um, looking forward as hoteliers and, and having that as our competitive advantage with our operations, our design, and our acquisition models. It's an amazing background, and the only question I have is, um, I, well, it's really just a statement. Please tell me more about the dial and astrology business. That is dial a horoscope. Dial a horoscope. Dial a horoscope. Me. Yeah, you could. I, it's this amazing. is back in the rotary phone days. That's amazing. And it would probably be better now, where you could just speed dial it. But um, they used to, you know, you used to have to call, and you it would listen to the your horoscope for the day. You know the. For me, the Taurus horoscope would be, you know, the stubborn Taurus is uh, going to have a day filled of uh, excitement of, uh, and find your challenges and meet them head on. You know, something like that. I love Stay that. woke. Stay yeah, woke. stay woke. Yeah. Today, you need to stay woke. Well, and so the last one I want to share that we did was Evil Knievel's Snake River Jump that he almost made. My, That's very cool. Our company was the promoter for that. I know who that is. And, and I actually got to meet Evil Knievel when I was like, eight years old. I did an air band for him, hence the karaoke love. So, uh, sorry, reference from another time. Um, but, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, we had a really interesting upbringing, uh, going to professional sporting events, going to hotel openings. I remember we went to the, uh, we actually owned this hotel still, the Redondo Beach Hotel. And back then it was a Best Western and it was brand new, open, uh, and we went down to it and they had put all these blue balls, like you see in the jumping things for kids, 
on top of the pool. It was a way to keep the pool warm, like a kind of a cost savings. And I think they didn't realize the liability of having pools cover your entire water surface and that like people could be drowning underneath. <laughs> so eventually those left. But I, I still remember to this day that opening and thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. It's like a ball jump and a pool put together. It was so awesome. Yeah, I remember riding up to Pismo Beach with my father and he had like the big oversized cell phone in the car. He's like, take notes for me while I get on the on these meetings. And he would, you know, have some different exchanges on the way up. And then we would get to the hotel. He said, we're going to pick out drapes today. Do you want to do that with me? And I, here I am, a 12-year-old, like, yeah, sure. So I go into a room, and he's, you know, he has a designer there, and she's lifting up fabrics. And he's like, which one do you, do you think should go into this hotel? I'm like, I don't know, this one. And so, I mean, that's kind of like the grassroots of a lot of these organically grown family hotel businesses is everyone's kind of working in the hotel, you know, picking out things. And then you kind of wake up slowly and say, okay, what's the right thing to do or what's the better thing to do? And I think we kind of evolved in some of those areas in, in our portfolio saying, okay, we have a Best Western on the sand in, in San Diego. Do we need that brand? Is it helping this hotel? But being in a family business where, you know, those things were, were hallmarks, we had to figure out other reasonings of why to change and reposition certain assets. Do you actually have the Best Western in San Diego that's on the beach? We we don't own any Best Westerns uh, or own and operate any Best Westerns. We have one Best Western left in our ownership, which is in National City, that we do not operate. But um, we uh, we have a, uh, a hotel called the Blue Sea Beach Hotel that was a Best Western. And one of the things we found was that we were just, you know, we were in four or five star locations and it, it just wasn't the right positioning for that asset. And so we, we were able to go independent on most of those, do a refresh, uh, pretty, pretty extensive refresh on the asset, kind of making it more boutique. And then we saw rates jump anywhere from $50, $60, $70. Is, so, is that the one in PB? Yeah. Yes. I know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah Lucy yeah. Beach Hotel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got a beautiful mural in the it's pool amazing. area. Yeah, it's really good. We have some other ideas for that, that the next turn. And that's the thing, in, in the hotel business, like every seven to 10 years, you have to spend money, big money, at an asset. So it kind of gives you a fresh canvas, and you can, you can kind of paint what you want. I mean, you have to stay within the lines a little bit, but you can go outside the lines a little bit, and it's it's fun. That I mean, location is so time. amazing. Yeah. So much yeah. great opportunity yeah. there. Well, that's the thing is, uh, you know, there's great hoteliers, and then there's really good investment people that buy amazing locations that it's kind of hard to screw up. Uh, we're probably somewhere in the middle of that. I mean, we're really investment people first, um, but we do have a very creative flair, as you've come to know today, at talking to us. And we have a lot of arts in our family, our sister, my daughter, people are in music, and we have artists, our mom's a, a painter. So we really kind of come from this background of creativity. Adam was always dubbed the creative child in our, uh, in our sibling group. And so, you know, whenever it came to math, everyone kind of was like, oh, don't ask Adam. But Adam actually is a big number cruncher. So uh, it's kind of funny how we sometimes fight against our family uh, designations because they aren't always correct. Of course. So I, I have a lot of questions about where you're at today, but I want to come back to going, you know, being 12 years old and like your dad telling you to take notes or pick out drapes to actually running the organization, which is what you both do today. So. Tell me a little bit about how that transition has happened. How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been with the company 22 years. I started out here in New York. And um, the one, the generation one to generation two transition is probably the most difficult, especially when you have a founder involved 
and most of these founders are entrepreneurial in spirit. And it is very difficult. I have to credit our father that he, I think, going to Harvard and hearing it from third-party people, we actually went when InBev, which is, I think, the largest beverage company in the world, was there. And their chairman, uh, Mauricio, was there with his nieces. And he, like, took over the class occasionally because he is just, you know, one of the top executives of big companies in the world. And so it was really an educational thing for my father, also for us, but also kind of gave a lot of credibility to what we were trying to do. And I think that allowed him the courage to kind of say, okay, at some point I am going to step away and I'm going to let these guys, these people, this next generation do what they're, what what I've taught them to do. I mean, the nice thing is he's taught us his whole life. So his principles should be our principles and they are. And, and, you know, a lot of, you can't find someone who's better suited to run your company than your kids, assuming they're capable. And that is the assumption sometimes. I mean, you have to make sure that your kids are trained. And even the, the children in our family in the third generation, we, we have uh, family retreats that are co- company or business oriented every year, once a year, where, in fact, the last one, Adam and I spoke to the third generation, uh, 12 and up. Uh, but it's like now it's like eight, eight kids. We have, what, 15 or 16 in our third generation. We're like rabbits in the Marquis family. And, uh, and, and we have some that are interested in the business and others that have no interest at all. And, uh, but we want all of them to be educated owners. And that's a really important thing that they teach it in family business is that you want good stewards. And, and we're really vulnerable, like talking to them, not just like, here are all the things that you want to hear, but really like, oh, I remember this point in my career when the recession hit and I thought I was going to lose my job and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to pay rent on, you know, I think that's refreshing for people to hear that, especially young people like, oh, okay, life's hard and everyone goes through it. Yeah. I think sometimes when you hear that, you know, we're we're legacy hoteliers or something like that, it sounds perhaps more grand than the reality of it. You know, we're joking a little bit about, you know, the day to day. It seems, you know, outwardly it's glamorous when you're like launching cool new hotels in downtown LA or you're traveling here and there for your job. But the reality is there are those days as owners, operators, managers. Um, and then I have to imagine that are very, very hard. And then, but I can't imagine what that must feel like when it's family too. Tell me about that. The, the difficulty is sometimes family members don't realize that you're working. Um, when you're, you're in the hospitality business and you're doing, you know, we had a two and a half hour tasting at Jamaica Bay and we're sitting on the water having wonderful food and, you know, we're posting pictures and we're sharing it on Instagram and, 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 uh, Snapchat and all these things where family members are seeing and they, you, you, you get the always, are you even working? Is this what you do for work? You know, and even friends do that. It is work, and it, there's a lot of pressure. You know, I mean, for us, to, you know, the opening of a Wayfair downtown LA, there's a ton of pressure. I mean, is all this going to work? Is all the crazy ideas we're thinking of are they going to really um, resonate with guests, or are there going to be people that go, "Oh, this is too contrived" or something? And so, you do have some of this self-doubt as you get there. Now, I think the nice thing about being in a family is you're supportive of each other, probably even more so than. Ray. I mean, I look at. Anyone you work with as like a family thing. It should be that way because you spend more peop- more time with the people you work with than anyone else in the world, including your significant others and your children and those kind of things in some cases. And so, you know, you do want to look for that. But having a brother or a, a sister or a father or a mother be able to kind of have your back is hugely important. Yeah, and I think, you know, no sole proprietor sits there and says, I can't wait to make my business a family business. 
you know, they're just entrepreneurial. They get to a point of like, wow, I've really built something. And then Matt joined the, the company. So then Matt and Dale are thinking, okay, this is kind of a family business with just me and my son. And then I was kind of the next in line that was looking at the industry. But I, you know, I had my own ambitions and goals of like, I'm going to work for Kimpton. I'm going to work for Ian Traeger and all these different companies. And one of our policies in our family is actually, you know, we're encouraged to work five years outside of the business before we even are capable to work in the business. It's actually a requirement. We have a family constitution that actually spells out the norms for working in the family business, what's expected of family business managers, um, you know, what kind of education you need to have, what kind of experience. You can't just go out and work as a lifeguard in Newport Beach and then five years later say, okay, I've worked for five years, I want to come in and, and run the company. It's not doesn't work that way. We don't make jobs for family members. So, um, so it, it, you know, we're trying to be a real responsible uh, family business. In fact, we don't really lead when we're out there pitching our, our business model anywhere with a family business because sometimes that's viewed as a little mom and pop. And we're a very sophisticated mid-market company now. Um, so there is some growth pains as you get to certain levels of how am I positioning myself. Now, if we're sitting down with the, the nice thing is in our industry, there's plenty of families that own real estate and they own the hotels for years and years, decades. So that's when we can play that family business card and yeah. say, we're family, we get it. You want to be needed in any family business. There's already enough psychographic and emotional issues with work and uh, insecurities and in a family business it's heightened. So you wanna go in being, okay, I've got a skill set, I have something to offer, something to contribute. And I think we're really lucky that all of us have had those opportunities. You know, Matt went at a certain time, was very pivotal to kind of moving this Titanic that has, you know, is Pacifica today. I came in almost a decade ago and kind of just tweaked and refined a lot of the hotel aspects of the company. And then Chris, our younger brother, who just started with us three years ago, has really brought another type of sophistication and worked for GE. And so I think all of us have recognized our skill sets and our weaknesses and strengths and say, okay, this is like one giant person that's you know helping to run this company. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. It's almost like the collective consciousness in a family business. It's interesting. My dad's a CPA, so he's an accountant. I'm kind of investment banker finance guy starting out here in Wall Street. Adam is truly our only hotelier. I play one on TV, Adam is actually a hotelier. He's run hotels, he's been in housekeeping, he's been in food and beverage, all those things. Chris is kind of the GE Capital finance guy, uh, kind of capital stack guy. So it, it really is nice to have all these different golf clubs in the bag to be able to pull out at different times and say, oh, well, you know, if we're talking operations, Adam would like to talk to you. <laughs> Matt doesn't want to talk to you. Well, it makes a lot of sense when you look at executive committees at midsize and large and publicly traded companies and whatnot, everyone has their verticals, right? Or even in a hotel, you have your, your general manager, your director of housekeeping, your director of food and beverage, your director of revenue, and so on and so forth. So right, it makes sense that you would each have your own verticals. And I imagine that also staying in those lanes helps to alleviate any of the challenges of everyone trying to be all muddled up in the middle which I think is just a hazard of mid-sized businesses anyway. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting when we were we, we, we bought our building. It's the first and only building that the Marquis family owns by itself. So we bought our office building. It's a 22,000-square-foot office building that we completely gutted and specifically laid out for how we wanted to run our business. And originally, I wanted to have a 
shared economy office with my brothers. I didn't want any walls. I wanted to have three desks in this big space where we could all be together collectively thinking and talking all the time. That definitely didn't get off of the creative board into reality, but I did get windows. So we have windows all throughout. We are all kind of in this little pod a suite of, of offices where we can see each other and we actually spend most of our time talking to each other during the day. Um, but but that that's things that I think really are important in a family business is having that open communication, all being on the same page and having a very clear vision of where you're trying to get to. Yeah, one, we have, you know, a huge amount of professional respect for each other. So I acknowledge Matt as my brother, but he's also my CEO and my direct, you know, I, I report directly to him. And so you have to honor those things in a family business, otherwise it's not gonna work. And so, but, but along what Matt was saying is we, we do have these water cooler times in the office, which if it was not a family business would be a lot harder because I might feel, oh, let me work out that idea before I just blurt it to Matt or Chris. And I think that's really helps companies is to have these, you know, creative sessions and brainstorm sessions where you say, well, what should we do at this hotel? Why don't we do this? Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try this. And uh, we try to invite just not, you know, not even the marquees, but our COO, our VP of revenue, our director of marketing. Our business development guy, Stephen uh, Medell, you know, he's supposed to be doing other stuff. A lot of times we'll pull him in just because we like how he thinks sometimes. And, and, and that we'll pull in like junior people and say, what do you think about this? Uh, I think being able to use all parts of your team is important. It could be the receptionist may have a very unique take on something because of some experience she had in her life or he had in her li- his life. So I think we try and utilize all the tools we have. So where are Pacifica Hotels today? How many are in your portfolio? Where are you only in Southern California? Tell us a little bit more. I think when I started with the company, we were at about 12 hotels. We're at 42 now, and that's about 22 years later. Um, we definitely have a very different portfolio now. Uh, much more independent, although we just did kick off a uh, national brand acquisition program that we'll be buying all, all across the United States select serve assets uh, with a venture uh, partner named Anfield. Great guys. And uh, we're very excited about doing that uh, as another piece of business. But, um, you know, our core is really taking these independent products, developing them. We have two internal brands, uh, the Wayfair and the Kinney. Uh, the Kinney is a three-star kind of conversion brand. Uh, for people coming out of brands that no longer work for them or doesn't work for them to be in the brand. And it's very art-centric, kind of a youngish millennial type of uh, thing, but very approachable like the Wayfair. And uh, and so, you know, I I think we look at it, we have a a five-platform business now uh, with different business lines. Uh, before we were really just a syndication model where we we're doing individual assets. So we're very, we're, we, we try and uh, do institutional projects with uh, the Wall Street and pension fund type of people. And then uh, our Anfield pr- platform is going to be with uh, family office people. And then we still do a lot of private equity type of stuff with uh, high, wor- high net worth individuals. So Wayfair, you're um, one of your other two internal brands you didn't talk too much about. Check out our other podcast that we recorded today to hear more about that and their second location coming in downtown LA this summer. A little shameless plug there. Very well done. Um, so with your um, new partnership with Anfield, what does that look like for you in the coming years or what's that timeline like? You know, 
we've always been a little nervous venturing out outside of California. We've done it a few times. We have a hotel in Hawaii, Florida, um, but it's always at the top of the, the, the cycles when you don't want to do those things. And so as we're strategically looking at expanding the Wayfair and Kinney brand and, and some of our other assets, we wanted to partner with a group that are located around the country. So one of our partners in Anfield is in Boston. The other one offices out of Denver. We're probably going to have a central office in Texas and just have a way to acquire hotels in different markets, secondary, tertiary markets, not all main and main markets. Um, and that's going to allow us not only to provide, you know, returns for our investors, which is great, but just more knowledge of markets that we're not accustomed to and that we possibly could enter in with the Wayfair or the Kinney, uh, alongside the Hampton Inn or Hilton Garden that we might buy with Anfield. So it sounds like with this second generation, um, ownership, you guys are really have taken it, taken the existing family business and looked at it with a very different lens and really restructured it in the way that it's a business that you want to be part of, that you are passionate about. And not that you weren't passionate about it 22 years ago or whatever the math is, but this is the way you want your future to go and thus the family business. I think it's uh, a little bit like the parable of the talents. Uh, you know, you don't want to just take that talent and bury it and have the exact same amount you had. I think we wanted to make it better and have more and uh, and create something with what we were given. We understand that, you know, we're fortunate. We had an opportunity that not a lot of people have. And so we definitely respect that. And uh, we just want to be good stewards. We want to do something with it. We want to, we, we actually want to make a difference in if you think about what our clients are doing at our properties, they're celebrating some of the most special moments they have. Anniversaries, birthdays, um, you know, they're proposing to their future spouse. All just the, a basic vacation. Or you just know, a, these it, basics. Really it could important. be not even a basic vacation. It could be a critical vacation that this family really needs. And so to be able to provide the backdrop for that to be able to revive the experiences that you have at the Wayfair, the Kinney, and other 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 properties that we have along the coast or in Hawaii or in Florida. I mean, those are those are really important moments for people. And so we want to we want to do the best job we can in providing the best experience possible for the best value. Uh, so for anyone who might be listening to the podcast that is sort of staring down the opportunity to inherit the family business and they're thinking, gosh, that's not the business that I want, or I, I think it would be cool, but what would the advice be that you would offer someone like that? I think the one thing is, you know, start a conversation with people in your family about that business. You know, a lot of times the nephews or the third generation, fourth generation, they're intimidated by the second generation or first generation. And we're trying to create an environment in our family, an extended family, where it's okay to come up to Matt as CEO and spend a half a day with him or come shadow Adam as he walks a construction site and shows you all the little design nooks and crannies. And that's going to get people passionate about whether they like it or not. And, and if it's for them, there's an opportunity. If it's not, they're still part of that, that experience. And, and, and it's actually real time in our, in our family, in our company right now. Um, we got an email from or a text from our sister who's not in the business, but she's a, you know, she's a shareholder and she's a uh, board member. She asked if her son, who is graduating from high school, could come and spend a couple weeks this summer as a marketing intern. He's in, interested in marketing. He's getting ready to go to college. He wants to find out if it's something he's really interested in. 
And luckily, we have a marketing department. And so he can come in and experience marketing at probably a level most high school students can't. And that gives him an advantage. Um, I think that what you asked initially, if someone wasn't all that passionate about the hotel business, I would caution someone to do it for the money. And, 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 and I, I, I say that about any business, whether it's hotels or anything. And I have a lot of friends in YPO who are in different businesses who are in second generation or third generation situations. And I think what every one of them would say is make sure you have passion for whatever you're going to do in life because it's going to be a long career if you don't. And so don't do anything for the money. Do it for the passion and you'll be happier and you'll love it. And I've had more fun the last 10 years working with Adam and Chris um, than I had all the time before because it's just been a lot of fun doing what we do and, and uh, being as creative as we have. Absolutely. I think that's great life advice. Do it for the passion, not for the money. I think the money comes, right? When you the money have, comes when you really with the passion, but, but yeah, do follow your passions. Sure does. So, Matt, it sounds like YPO has been a really um, important part of resources and you growing yourself within the business. But what other organizations or events or conferences do you feel like are great for um, hotel family businesses? Well, one of the ones that we do is called uh, from Family Business Magazine, Fam Fa uh, Transitions West and East Conference. One's held in L.A. and San Diego one year. The other one's, I think, held in Tampa. Exactly. But it's, it's this opportunity. There's no vendors, no consultants trying to get your business. These are just family businesses that sign up to learn about how to be a better family business. So there's workshops for, you know, the in-laws or we call them outlaws. They sometimes. call them outlaws sometimes. <laughs> there's workshops you for the sole proprietor to be like, hey, let go a little bit, you know. And so it's, it's kind of a sounding board for us to and – we, and we come away there like, wow, we got our – we got our heads on pretty good on this. Yeah, uh, sometimes this we come away going, wow, comparatively, we feel good about ourselves. And, and sometimes we come away going, okay, we need to implement this also. Um, interestingly enough, a few years ago, it was actually the, the keynote was Marriott at the time. It was, uh, the, it was the third generation of Marriott. It was uh, the Harrison family. They were talking. And um, we were also presenting. So we presented, I think, right after them. Uh, they had a little hotel theme going. And we actually presented on having difficult conversations because my dad had gone through a very difficult divorce. Again, in this podcast, you're getting the real marquees. Uh, very difficult divorce uh, during the transition of us becoming a family business. And, and that can jeopardize a family business. And so us being very deliberate and having lots of communication and open dialogue, you know, really helped get us through that time in our company. And so, you know, it's not all you know, flowers, rainbows, and unicorns. There's definitely some dark days and, and, and tough situations in a family business. Uh, we start, when I came to work for my dad, he had three other partners, and uh, it was not a family business. Yeah, if there's any advice I give a family of, oh, I gotta work out some things with the hierarchy or the proprietor, use an advisor. Because unless, you, I mean, even if you're the best communicator in the world, it's nice to have advisors that have done this before. They've worked with multiple families. So that's been really beneficial to us. Mediators for difficult conversations, very important. And Harvard was wonderful for our family. They have a great program. There's a lot of them out there. A lot of the, 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 the bigger schools have family business programs. I think Inseed out in Switzerland has a great program. Um, we looked at a lot of those. Um, Transitions West has been wonderful. YPO has a family business network. Um, we look for opportunities to to educate ourselves. Whether and Alice, you know, I mean, Alice has a lot of 
our industry has a ton of family businesses. And so, I don't think a lot of people realize. I think people who are not in the industry almost don't even think about that there's owners. They, they know the Marriott names. They don't think of Marriott as in any way, as you just said, having a family component to it outwardly. Although the Marriott's, the Pacifica's, the, I mean, you, you pick a hotel in brand and there's big f- groups of families behind them. Yeah, I was recently sitting with a bunch of my uh, buddies who also run hotel companies, and we were talking about it, and they were asking some family business questions and whatnot. And I, I looked at them and I said, you guys should all be asking yourselves these same questions because, and, and, and these are all privately held, closely held companies by these gentlemen. And I said, most of you guys, you know, probably have a chance of one of your kids running your business at one point. So think about it. And and that's something that I think when you're in the 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 time of your career and you're busy focusing on the day-to-day you sometimes forget hey i've got a family they may have an interest of doing what i do and uh, so having that i think adam said it perfectly earlier having those conversations whether they're difficult easy or open uh, and being able to individually in your professional life say this is not all about me like i'm not going to go slay it in this company and do be the magic person but this is about us having that mentality it, it's challenging if you're a go-getter and you're really driven. So you have to really stay that way, but be a steward. Wear your steward hat and say, okay, this is for generations to come. And I'm, and I'm just a steward here for a time. So I think getting that around in our heads has been really important for us to you know, do the dynamic things we're doing. And the the other thing is, is we have a vision as the second gen. I mean, my dad had a vision for his generation. And then we kind of grabbed that and ran with it. And then one of our visions is is to have, actually allow for the third generation to, to follow their dreams. So whether that's through a family bank or co-invest, having business plan competitions within the family as people come out. I mean, I, I lecture at USC and LMU every semester, and these Generation Z young people, they don't want to work for Pacifica necessarily. They want to own a digital marketing platform or they want to do their own things, an app or something. And so you're going to have a lot of these people coming out being very entrepreneurial, very creative, and they may not be looking to come join a big company. And so um, our third generation, we need to be ready for that. We may not have anyone that wants to come in and run the family business. So, uh, so we need to be prepared for that. I love it. Thanks so much for your honesty, guys. Absolutely. It was Thanks. wonderful.